Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. Our essay this week is called, What's So Golden About the Golden Rule? It's a guest essay by novelist Ron Hansen. Ron's many books include Exiles from the year 2008, and then in 2011, A Wild Surge of Guilty Passion. Among his many honors are a Guggenheim Foundation grant, an award in literature from the American Academy and National Institute of Arts and Letters, two grants from the National Endowment for the Arts, and a three-year fellowship from the Lindenhurst Foundation. Ron is currently the Gerard Manley Hopkins Professor in the Arts and Humanities at Santa Clara University, where he earned an MA in Spirituality in 1982. 95. What's so golden about the golden rule? <coughs> A guest essay by Ron Hansen. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, November the 4th, 2012. The sage and biblical scholar Rabbi Hillel the Elder was president of the Sanhedrin and the highest authority among the Pharisees in Jerusalem during the reigns of King Herod and the Roman Emperor Augustus. Hillel is said to have died in the year 10 of the Common Era, which means that if Jesus was born in 6 to 4 before the Common Era, as some scholars suggest, the boy could have been listening to Hillel teach when he stayed overnight in the temple during the Passover festival. At a minimum, Jesus and his disciples would have been influenced by the eminence and learning of Rabbi Hillel when Jesus began his own public ministry at age 30. And that would account for the similarities in their so-called golden rule. Rabbi Hillel felt that love of others was the core principle of Jewish teaching. And in a collection of his maxims, there's an account of him being approached by a heathen who was considering becoming a Jew, and who asked the rabbi for a concise summation of the religion. Hillel told him, that which, that which is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That is the whole law, the rest is commentary. But Hillel was preceded in his thought with Lao Tse's 6th century BCE council that one should, quote, regard your neighbor's gain as your own gain and your neighbor's loss as your own loss. And by Confucius, who in the 5th century BCE said, never impose on others what you would not choose for yourself. In ancient Greece, Thales advised, avoid doing what you would blame others for doing. And in ancient Egypt, it was that which you hate to be done to you, do not do to another. In fact, it would seem that all major religions or ethical systems have their own version of the golden rule. But the rule of Jesus is distinctive and deeper. We see it in the Gospel reading for today from Mark chapter 12. A Jewish scribe who witnessed Jesus in a dispute with the Sadducees over the resurrection was so impressed by his wisdom that he sought Jesus out and inquired, 
which is the first of all the commandments? Jesus replied by quoting Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. It was a familiar instruction, one that pious Jews recited in their morning and evening prayer services, urged their children to say at bedtime, carried in script on their wrists, and attached to the doorposts of their homes in a small container called a mezuzah. But then Jesus added, as an ancillary instruction, a quotation from the Holiness Code in the book of Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. We have a habit of overlooking the final phrase, as yourself, or consider it merely a form of comparison, a measuring stick, even a quid pro quo, on which most other maxims of the love of neighbor rely. But I think Jesus intended that his hearers realize that they are indeed esteemed by God, that love loves them, and that they ought to treat themselves as a favored child or prized possession, not in the criminal or addictive behaviors that so often are a reaction to self-loathing. In his ethic of reciprocity, in his linking of the love commandments, Jesus was not just facilitating conformity with the Torah, but was indicating that concern for others and oneself was a natural consequence of a fully integrated devotion to God. And that particular fidelity and worship ought to be so all-encompassing as to unite our inner dispositions of emotion, spirit, and intelligence, along with the sensations and powers of our bodies. Some have argued that Rabbi Hillel the Elder did not mention love of God to the heathen because he recognized the man was still too new to Judaism to have an accurate concept of the Most High, especially in a polytheistic world. And Jesus, of course, was talking to a scribe, an educated interpreter of the Bible, and perhaps even a government official. Jesus was merely helping him up to a higher step. Well said, teacher, the scribe replied, not only ratifying Jesus' lesson, but also revealing his own willingness to be a disciple, a student. Repeating the instruction, the scribe underscored its importance for the crowd watching them, and even seemed to be committing it to memory. And his conclusion was that concern for God in one's neighbor is worth more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Mark's gospel was addressed to communities of Gentiles, encircled by hundreds of cults and idols, each requiring holocausts and the violent sacrifice of animals. So the realization that the law could be fulfilled in its entirety through compassion, generosity, and the love and worship of God would have been a source of relief even as it inspired a new sense of personal responsibility. All our social justice initiatives 
have their basis in this love commandment that Jesus links in this gospel. Jesus congratulated the scribe for fully understanding what he'd said. And there was a wry joke in Jesus saying, you're not far from the kingdom of God. But the scribe had been gifted with an intimate conversation with the Jesus in whose life and teaching the reign of God was first and finally made present. The Golden Rule, a guest essay by Ron Hansen. For books this week, I review a title called Francis of Assisi, a new biography. The author is Augustine Thompson. Ithaca, Cornell University Press, 2012, 299 pages. Any biography of Francis of Assisi faces two formidable challenges. The complexity of the medieval sources and the saintliness of a subject who evokes hagiography. Augustine Thompson tackles both challenges head-on, and the result is a new gold standard for any future work on St. Francis. His rigorous historical method moves beyond mere speculation and pious edification, and yet does so with a genuine reverence for his subject. This volume has two distinct parts. The first half of the book is an uncluttered narrative of the life of St. Francis. The second half is a meticulous and comprehensive bibliographical essay on the sources and methods of Franciscan scholarship. Francis's family was wealthy, but not aristocratic. In the year 1205, Francis renounced family and wealth in favor of a vagabond life as a lay penitent, centered around serving lepers, manual labor repairing churches, and fervent devotion to the Eucharist. In 1208, two followers joined him, and the three of them sought priestly advice on their form of life. Then, famously, on April 16, 1208, a priest opened the missal to three random passages that would later define the Franciscan order. Go and sell all you have, take nothing for the journey, deny yourself, and follow Jesus. For many years after this official conversion to radical renunciation, the Franciscan movement was fluid and free form. By 1216, Francis was a celebrity, and by 1219, he was known in faraway England. Nonetheless, there was no official rule or governance until the year 1221, and therein lies one of the many complexities of a deeply conflicted Francis. How do you bottle the lightning of a growing international and dynamic mass movement, led by a famous figure, who lacked the skills and temperament of organizational leadership. Francis resigned as head of the movement in 1220, but everyone knew that he held all the power. How could he be less than all, <coughs> and subject to all, 
if he had to judge others as their leader. Francis never made peace with the necessary transformation of his movement into, reg into a regularized institution. Thanks to Augustine Thompson, what emerges here is not an inimitable figure who transcends history, but a normal human being who grappled deeply with the invitation of Jesus to give all, take nothing, and embrace the cross. Augustine Thompson, Francis of Assisi, A New Biography For film this week, I review a movie from Venezuela. The title is Amazonia Vertical, from the year 2005. Amazonia Vertical epitomizes the films that have won Slovakian filmmaker Pavel Barabas 150 awards in his home country. Documentaries about extreme environments unspoiled by human contact and the crazy people who take us there vicariously. In this one-hour film, we follow his fellow countryman Beko Androdrovic and three of his friends who are the first people ever to traverse Venezuela's famous Ayan Tepui, the table mountains in the remote Amazon rainforests. After a three-day trek hacking through the dense jungle, they first rock-climb the vertical cliffs on the mountain then rappel down Depple's Canyon, and finally raft the river back to an Indian village. They use no guides, no porters for their 30-kilo backpacks, and no navigational helps. At the top of Ayun Tepui is the world's highest waterfall. Some 60% of the plants and animals are unique to that environment. I watched Amazonia Vertical on Netflix streaming. And finally, for poetry this week, in All Saints Day, we've posted the famous hymn by William Howe, For All the Saints, from the year 1864. For all the saints who from their labor rest, who thee by faith before the world confessed, thy name, O Jesus, be forever blessed. Alleluia, alleluia. O blessed communion, fellowship divine, we feebly struggle, they in glory shine. Yet all are one in thee, for all are thine. And when the fight is fierce, the warfare long, steals on the ear the distant triumph song, and hearts are brave again, and arms are strong. Alleluia, alleluia. From earth's wide bounds, from ocean's furthest coast, through gates of pearl, streams in the countless hosts, singing to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Alleluia, Alleluia. William Howe for all the saints. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net. 
for Sunday, November the 4th, 2012. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. 